0: Seems like I remember some Christian committee once time saying, "Let's go to the Book of Psalms." <laughs> Amen. Psalms chapter twenty-six. Good to see different ones in the house of the Lord. Good to see Sister Cox here today. Amen. And again, as I said, good to see Heath. We grabbed a couple of little boys here this morning. It's been coming on our Wednesday nights, so they come on Sunday mornings. And uh, daughter has a classmate with her today so we're thankful for all of them and uh, I dropped by and grabbed Pat this morning he was standing outside just waiting to come to church and uh, whenever I got to those little boys house their room was at the very end of their trailer when I pulled up his face was planted against the window just waiting for that church man you don't know how that did my heart Whew. amen Psalms chapter 26. And I want to start reading in verse number one. The Bible says, judge me, O Lord, for I have walked in mine integrity. I have trusted also in the Lord. Therefore, I shall not slide. Examine me, O Lord, and improve me. Try my reins and my heart. For thy loving kindness is before mine eyes, and I have walked in thy truth. I have not sat with vain persons, neither will I go in with dissemblers. I have hated the congregation of evildoers and will not sit with the wicked. I will wash mine hands in innance. I can't even talk this morning. Innocency. I'm telling you, I've been making my family really proud here lately so will i compass thine altar O lord that i may publish with the voice of thanksgiving and tell of all thy wondrous works lord i have loved the habitation of thy house the place where thine honor dwelleth this morning for a little while i want to talk to us today about walking in integrity walking in integrity i know it's an old-fashioned word it's not something that many people really use much anymore i want to talk about walking in integrity at least as david as david here in the psalms uh, describes it father i come to you this morning i'm grateful god for this opportunity to be in this place i'm grateful lord jesus for the opportunity to share the word of the Lord. It is your word, O oh Lord, that is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway. I pray, O oh Lord, you able to help and direct us now, Lord, in some aspect and way in this service, make our lives better by the word. In the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen. God bless you this morning. You may be seated in Jesus' name today. I know you've probably never heard this in today's society, uh, but I've heard it a time or two, I've read it a time or two, and it's kind of like a modern chant or even a modern call, uh, something that, a cliche that people, people even oftentimes say today, and that is this. I know you've never heard it, but they often say, or I've even read it, don't judge me. I know you've never heard that. But... uh, The don't judge me mantra that happens all across the land today, in many regards, is there because as individuals, we don't want to face the hard truth. That may challenge some of our comfortable practices. As a matter of fact, I wince every time I hear or read the phrase, don't judge me, crawls all over me. A lot of people use Matthew seven for their premise. They use it out of context. Don't judge me. My daughter knows if she ever wants to just push a button or pull a lever on me, just say, don't judge me, Dad. Because she knows that that just rides all over me. See, people want to be comfortable around God. People want to be comfortable around God. People want a church that they can go to that they can feel comfortable with. And while I understand this in one regard, I do understand the idea of uh, going to a church where perhaps that you, uh, you know, uh, feel accepted and that in spite of who you are or where you've been, that you can walk in there and find, you know, a place to sit. I understand that in one regard. But there is another side to it uh, that instructs me to this degree that in order to grow in a relationship with God, then change is required. And if true change is required, it's going to come up on the heels of some examination of my life. Amen. It's believed that here in Psalms chapter 26 that David penned this psalm during the years that he was a fugitive when when he was running for his life. He was trying to evade all the attacks of King Saul. King Saul was looking at David with a menace, menacing eye, uh, wanting really to take his life, thinking that he was going to try to usurp his throne because in reality, David was more honorable than, than Saul was. And so David, uh, they they many believe that he wrote Psalms 26 during this time of being a fugitive. And something about David during the time of being a fugitive, David was greatly misunderstood during these years, greatly misunderstood. He He walked a very fine line that, uh, I think is a challenge to all of us even yet today. And the fine line that David walked was this, King Saul was still king, right? King Saul was still king. And so the line that David walked was was respecting the authority in his life, which was King Saul. and yet at the same time trying to follow the plan for his own life that he knew that God had anointed him for. And so he had a fine line to walk. And there was a moment, in the life of David that the Bible says during these fugitive years that he and his ragtag group of men were in a cave and Saul had entered that cave. You've heard me talk about this before, to relieve himself, right? To go to the restroom and he was in there and as he was there, his men were talking to David that you could take his life, you could kill him at this very moment in time because Saul was not aware that David and his men were in that cave. They weren't aware that that he could have been easy prey for David and this is what the Bible says in 1 Samuel 24 and verse 9 and David said to Saul this is after they had done been in the cave Saul had exited then David had exited and the only thing that David had done while he was in there was just kind of cut the hem of Saul's garment and take it and the Bible says and David said to Saul wherefore hearest thou men's words saying behold David seeketh thy hurt because that was the, 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 the rumors that were spreading across the land so all David is seeking to to do you harm in reality, the, the, the flip of that was really true. Saul was seeking to do David harm. But that's what kind of spread throughout the land. Saul, uh, th- David is t- trying to do you harm. Look at verse 10. Behold this day, David says, thine eyes have seen how that the Lord had delivered thee today into mine hand in the cave. And some bade me to kill thee. But mine eyes, David said, spared thee. And I said, I will not put forth my hand against the Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed." Moreover, my father, see, yea, see the skirt of the robe in my hand. So he's talking about that piece of the garment that he cut from Saul's robe. For in that I cut off the skirt of thy robe and killed thee not. Know thou and see that there is neither evil nor transgression in mine hand. And I have not sinned against thee, yet thou huntest my soul to take it away. And so it's from this whole happening of the Old Testament scripture that Psalms 26 is burning because the psalmist in Psalms 26 believes in himself that I've not done anything wrong I didn't transgress my eyes spared you I've done all of these things but the psalmist wants here it is this this goes against today's society the psalmist wants the Lord to judge him Uh in a day in which everybody's crying don't judge me David said judge me He wants the Lord to judge him. He wants the Lord to judge the integrity of his walk. He wants the Lord to judge, as it's described here, the sincerity of his walk. He says, Lord, because in reality, here's what David understands that I think we need to understand even for today. Lord, the opinions and the observations of other people concerning my integrity, it don't matter. The opinions... And the observations that I have of myself and my integrity really don't matter. Although we all the time, you know, one knows you like, you know, you, that's true. But you know what David was saying? I have found that sometimes I can be deceiving unto myself. That what I thought was proper and what I thought was right and what I thought was kosher and where I thought I had done nothing wrong and everything was good. You know what, Lord? I need a voice to to kind of bear down right now and weigh in all of this. When I hear there's other voice, some saying I'm doing him hurt. There's men in the cave that said I should kill him. I'm thinking I did kind of good. But God, what do you have to say about the matter? What do you have to say about my integrity, about my sincerity? And so we need that in our life, folks. I love, you know, it's great to have people that speaks positive into your life, and it's great to have a a good, if you will, know yourself, to lead yourself, bearing of yourself, but sometimes we need the voice of heaven to weigh in on where we are at. Because there is no pure opinion, no pure voice, no pure knowledge Than the knowledge of God. Because there can be things in your life that would never be displayed openly to the world. That only you know. That you can deceive yourself with. Oh, God. Well, I feel like I did all right. Don't trust your feelings. In my heart, I felt like I did right. Don't trust your heart. I've already read it and I'm getting way ahead of myself. I read it and I've seen it this is new year, you know, new year resolutions. Everybody's throwing everything out there. I've heard it, read it. Oh, I'm going to do what makes me happy this year. I'm going to do what my heart wants me to do this year. Let me that that's a bunch of baloney, folks. That's a bunch of pop psychology out in the world of doing what you want to do and doing what your heart's telling you to do. You can't trust your heart. Jeremiah said your heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? You can't trust your heart. What you need is a savior. You need a God to lean in and weigh in on the walk of your integrity. It it really grieves my heart when I see see people say, I'm going to do what my heart tells me this year. I thought, well, there blows another year. (laughs) Amen. See, and so, the the fact of the matter is, David says, look upon me, God. Judge me. Boy, both words. Judge me, God. Because there's sometimes, I'm just talking here, all right. There's sometimes that people can have a good theatrical display of uprightness but it's just that a show it's like a drama it's like someone playing a role in a play that's not who they are that's who they're pretending to be and there's other times that we may fail time after time in our own lives But people are diligent to get back up after they have failed. And the Lord knows that in sincerity, they are putting their best effort forward. That they're doing everything they can do to make strive striving if you will for the mark of the high calling of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord and some may see sometimes other people's failures as as mistakes and failures and both face missteps and so on and so forth but then God may also know the onslaught of hell that's been against them as I preached not long ago how many times they denied until they gave in type of scenarios and so I understand all that but from others observations concerning David again they believe that David sought Saul. Amen some hurt. but David believed he had not sinned in his own by his own voice. I don't believe I've sinned against Saul. I, I cut off the skirt of his garment. yes but personally I don't believe I have look look at all these personal statements back in the book of Samuel. he says, David said, mine I spared you." David said, I will not put forth my hand against him. David said, I killed you not. No evil or transgression is in mine hand. I have not sinned against you. And although he believed all that and said all that, he says, God, I need to know what you think. Yeah, because we can feel real confident sometimes that we were not wrong. And God, if we'll allow him into that space, can still put down the gauntlet and say, you were wrong. so I need him to come and judge the integrity of my walk. To say, don't judge me. That's the the human response. That's the human response. So like the residence of Sodom and Gomorrah, when we look at Genesis chapter 19, whenever Lot first enters the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, when he enters there, the Bible tells us in Peter that, uh, that Lot first enters seemingly as a just person. Speaks of him as a just person and the Bible says that he, as he was sitting at the gate one day that there came in a couple of men and that Lot invited them into his home uh, they happened to be actually angels but to him they appeared as though men and he invited them into his home and then the men of the city came to uh, the realization or heard that he had taken in a couple of men into his home and so they're knocking on Lot's door and they said send those men out unto us that we might know them know many times in the scripture particularly in this instance it's just a polite way to say that these men were to have sex with these men see whenever you get the word sodomy it go that's where it comes from Sodom homosexuality all the way back to that's the reason why it's called sodomy because it come from Sodom and so lot Basically tells them, No, you can't you can't have these men to do as you would want with them. Something that just blows my mind. The Bible says these men that came to them weren't just adults, they were young and old men saying let us have our way let us, let us get to know these individuals they were wanting to take advantage of them he had invited these men into his home and these other men in the city wanted to take advantage of them and the residents of Sodom whatever Lot said no they cannot come out to you the residents of Sodom basically said this don't judge me look at it I don't know if they have the new living translation up there do they 19 and verse number 9 here's what they said stand back they shouted This fellow came to town. They're speaking of a lot. This fellow came to town as an outsider or a foreigner, and now he's acting like our judge. We'll treat you far worse than those other men. And they lunged toward Lot to break down the door. They called Lot an outsider. Lot a foreigner. He'd come to live among them. True. He had. And they said, you know what? He's acting like, he's acting out like a judge right now. You know the reason why that they said, Hey, don't judge us or don't be acting like a judge toward us because Lot wasn't willing to be an accomplice to their homosexuality. It could be anything. It didn't, it didn't just have to be that. And let's state it like this. He wasn't willing to be an accomplice to their sin. The, the, the church, God's spirit, it don't have to say anything to be judge In What we had was a just man that was in a wicked environment. And just because he was present there, he wouldn't even had to say anything, but the righteousness of the man, the justness of the man, would feel as though they were attacking me. Amen. I've seen it. Some there's times that I haven't said anything, but someone thought I judged them. I open my mouth. What is it? God's spirit judges. God's spirit that lives inside of me it judges. I've done a whole series on judging. There's nothing wrong with judging. The thing is, make sure you've judged yourself before you judge anything else. We could look at that again sometime. But nonetheless, so the psalmist was of the persuasion. Lord, I don't want to carry. I don't want to carry myself as everything's okay if everything's not okay. He says, I have walked in mine integrity. Again, integrity here means sincerity. David walked in his integrity. Not meaning that god i've 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 walked as being perfect no no, he's not saying I've walked in as being faultless. No, he said, I've walked in my integrity. In other words, I've walked with a purity of heart to strive toward an in a wholesome direction concerning the things of God. And so in an era where the, the catchphrase is, don't judge me, the psalmist says, come on, judge me. He says, because I have a sense of confidence that everything is okay. He says, but I may, have, I may be deceiving myself. Mm -hmm. I may be deceiving myself. I I, I think I've measured my actions. I think everything is pure. I think that's right. But God, I need your opinion on the matter. And so the judgment that the psalmist invites in verse number one is really a request of a three-tiered type of approach or judgment there in verse number two. Three things. He goes on and he says, examine me, prove me, and try me. Examine me, prove me, and try me. We go to 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 13 and 5 where the Apostle Paul is admonishing the church at Corinth. He says, examine yourselves. Whether you be in the faith, improve your own selves. He's encouraging the church at Corinth to examine themselves. But the psalmist understands this. I know the traps of one person being the only voice of evaluation in their own life. If you're the only voice of evaluation in your life, it's really an unfair evaluation. So I need God to examine me. I I need to invite the examination of the Lord. What did David in the psalmist say in some of the other psalms like Psalms 139? He said, search me, right? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. We need that type of examination—the examination that goes beyond the surface, the examination that goes to the depths of the heart, the examination that goes to the depths of the thoughts, the examination that says, "Lord, if there's a wicked way, point it out. Don't don't just don't just pacify me by telling me everything's okay." Because sometimes that's what I want if I go to somebody else. I just want them to be the yes man in my life. You're okay. You didn't do anything wrong. Everything's all right. Oh, I feel great about myself, though. I know in my mind I did wrong. But it's just good to hear to read. You didn't do anything wrong. They're just being kind. They're really not your friend. David says, God, I need you to get on my thought level, on my heart level, and I need you to examine me amen because in the end it doesn't matter what others think it matters god what you think and i believe that maybe in society we have a little false idea about the true thinking patterns of god meaning we think we know what god thinks but if i go back to the bible and i am a firm believer going back to the scripture around here you know that if his thoughts is higher than my thoughts And his ways are higher than my ways. How can little peon Paul truly know and understand the way that God thinks? In other words, whenever I think I'm proper in his eyes, I got, yes, the word that I can go off of, but sometimes I need his voice to speak into my life and say, God, judge me. Oh, Brother McGee, I don't know about that. Folks, here's the end of the result. Someday at rapture, when rapture said enough, we're going to meet the judgment of God. So I might as well ask him to judge me now rather than waiting until then because if he'll judge me now, I might be able to make some course correction before then because that's the last judgment. That's the final judgment. I need him to judge me now. Am I walking in mine integrity? I need him to judge me now. Prove me, he says. Examine me, prove me. The original meaning of the word has a reference to smell. Quality by smell. Have you have you ever had food in the refrigerator? I'm just saying, folks. You know, even if it's toying with the expiration date and, like, you pick it up and you do the... You know, you open the milk top and you're like and it's like something just doesn't smell right about that right (laughs) it's the smell test right i mean it's the same thing that isaac did to his son jacob whenever he's walking to his his father and he's wanting to get the blessing and, and isaac's wanting to confirm whether or not it's esau but it's jacob and he said jacob or you know son come closer to me so what that i might smell you What he was looking for was the smell of the field upon him because Esau was a man of the field. So he was kind of doing this. He was trying to prove him. He was trying to prove him. For that matter, this this idea that smell that permeates from our lives uh, throughout the Old Testament scripture, whenever there was a whole burnt offering that was offered into the Lord, many times, most times it was required that it be sprinkled with frankincense. Has anybody ever smelled something that was flesh, an animal or something burning? Burnt flesh is not a pleasant smell. Whether it be of animal or whether it be of human. Burnt flesh is not a pleasant smell. And so they would do these whole burnt offerings of animals, but they would sprinkle them with frankincense. And frankincense gives off a fragrance, particularly whenever it's burned. And that's the reason why when you read in Scripture, whenever this would take place, the Bible would talk about how there being a sweet smell that was going into the nostrils of God. Burning flesh, not so much that, but that it was flavored with frankincense. And so our lives are those living sacrifices that we're offering up to God of, with frankincense mingled in. That should be a sweet savor to the Lord. Look at Genesis 8 and verse number 20. And the Bible says this is after the flood. This is after knowing them came off the ark, right? Having two of every animal except for the clean animals. God had commanded them to take seven of even the fowls take seven of. And this always amazes me when I read it time after time. God told him to take seven of the clean fowl, seven of the clean animals but didn't really tell him what's the purpose of taking seven of the clean and only two of of the other kind of male and female. And he never does tell Noah, but Noah taps into what's needed when he comes off the ark and Noah built an altar unto the Lord. He had to have seven of the clean animals because those were going to be some animals he was going to sacrifice to God on the altar that God never told him to build. But his own heart, Noah says, I, I, I've came through the flood. I've come through days and days of floodwaters and, and we're all here. So he built an altar unto the Lord and took of every clean beast note and every clean fowl and offered offerings on the altar. And the Bible says in verse 21, And the Lord smelled a sweet savor. And the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite anymore every living thing as I have done. And so as David is coming to this moment and he's asking God to approve him or smell him, he's like, God, am I offering anything up to you that has a pleasant smell? Are you just smelling burning flesh or has it been sprinkled with something that's going to be fragrant? That's going to be... Yeah, 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 yeah. Say, well, I, I give burnt offerings all the time to the Lord. Yes, but are they mingled with anything that has a fragrance or aroma that's pleasing? It's pleasing to God. I need you to, I need you to prove me. I need you to prove me. As a matter of fact, later in the same psalm of Psalm 26, David tells his intention to the Lord. He says, So will I come past the altar. As, although he's almost alluding to, God, I want you to prove me. I want you to buy the smell test. But I, I, I am, I am uh, going to have some activity about the altar of burnt offerings and sacrifices that will be well-pleasing unto you. And then when we look at that word examine again, or at the word try, both of them together yield this from their meanings, an examination by fire to the point of melting. An examination by fire to the point of melting because... Impurities in gold or impurities in precious metals cannot be removed unless the fire gets hot enough to melt the metal in order to pull off the impurities. So when David says, God, judge me, examine me, prove me, try me, you know what David's asking for in a roundabout way? Put me in the fire. Put me in the fire and make it hot enough that there's a melting that takes place so that if there are impurities that need removed, I'm in a state in a position. Oh yeah. Watch the trials you curse because if you ask God to judge you and then the trial comes, you might be asking him to sidestep what he was doing to purify you huh no don't turn it up that high God well I gotta have it high enough that you're melting in order to pull any impurity from you so you either gotta handle the heat and then allow the the impurities to be taken away or say no and leave yourself in the state that you are walking in my integrity David gives examples why he believes he has walked this is interesting to me he gives examples to us why why he believes he has walked in his integrity David examples are his sense and ideas of sincerity he, he's he's carrying weight that he is the only man to ever bear the label. This is what we gotta understand. David was called the man that was after God's own heart. So he's carrying the weight of all this this label of being the man after God's own heart. And now he's giving us a sense or an idea of why he believes he's walked in his integrity. So this is important. The only guy ever spoken as the man that's after God's own heart and he's sharing with us this is why I believe that maybe I've walked in integrity so my antennas are up I'm paying attention to what he has to say in verse number 3 he says for thy loving kindness is before mine eyes and I have walked in thy truth thy loving kindness is before my eyes look at it eyes and where he's walked eyes and where he's walked thy loving kindness is before me and I've walked in truth one impacts the other What his eyes focus on impacts where his feet walk. What we focus on will have bearing on what we walk in. They say, I read some studies here over the week, they say that every individual, regardless of terrain, whether it's plain or if it's a little rough or very rough, they say, scientists say, that human beings always walk with a two-step vision ahead. In other words, they're always anticipating the next two steps as they walk, regardless of the terrain. They're always anticipating the next two steps. And so if you're doing that, then your focus is going to impact your step. And studies have shown, and I, you know, as, as, as people get elderly, you know, the hunched over backs. And it seems like they always stare at the ground as they walk. They're afraid there's a cord or there's a change in the the terrain that's going to affect them. But the studies show that it's dangerous to look directly down at the ground as you walk. Rather than straight ahead of where you want to go. I'm just telling you, they say that the brain thinks that the body wants to go or move in the direction that you are looking. And so if you are looking down all the time as you walk, it makes literally your body unstable and throws your body off balance because your brain is thinking you're wanting to go where your eyes are looking. And what often happens with older people? I fail and I can't get up because their body thought that's where they wanted to go. Hallelujah. David said, thy loving kindness is before mine eyes. As a result of that, I have walked in Thy truth, because my eyes determined where my feet were going. Let me ask you this morning: What are you focusing on? What are you looking at? What has your attention? What 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 has what's grabbed your mind and your eyes? Because if something has your focus and your attention and you expect to walk in truth and what you're focusing on is the truth, you're going to have a difficult time. And you're going to ask yourself, I can't believe I'm doing this. Why am I doing this? Because it's about what has your attention. Because whatever has your attention is what you're going to walk toward. Oh, someone say amen. So David makes these statements. Look at it. In Psalms 26, he waffles back and forth between past tense and future tense. Past tense and future tense. Look at verse number four. David says, I have not sat with vain persons. But in the future, he talks about, neither will I go in with dissemblers, which is basically hypocrites. Verse five, I have, past tense, hated the congregation of evildoers. He looks again to the future. And will not sit with the wicked. And so David is crying out to God, God, from the standpoint of the present, I'm basically saying this, Lord, I'm going to continue to do what I've done as long as you judge it to be appropriate. That's what I have done. I plan on continuing to do that. That's what I have done. I plan on continuing to do that as long as you don't judge it any differently. But if you judge it differently, I got to walk according to my integrity that's judged by God. Not according to my integrity that I think is integrity, but an integrity that is judged by God. And so I understand. I understand David's letting God know. He says he understands that there are people. This is what he's saying concerning that he he, he he's not sitting with vain persons or going with dissemblers or the congregation of evildoers or the wicked. David is letting God know. And we need to grab a hold of this right here. David is letting God know that he understands that there are people he cannot continually spend time with and maintain a sanctified life. There are some, let me say it again. There are some people, David says, I cannot continually spend time with and maintain a sanctified life. But Brother McGee, we got to win. Yeah, we do. We do. But there's a difference. David is not on some uh, camp right here of trying to convert a soul. He's just saying this. I can't make a practice of constantly associating with such people. Because if I'm not careful, it'll have a negative effect on me. Hmm. He said, I can't keep regular company with certain people. Again, if we go back to the concept of of Lot, second, Peter, chapter two and verse eight of Lot there, that was in Sodom and Gomorrah. The Bible says for that righteous man, dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. You know what, Lot? There was just some people you can't constantly hang around without what you see and hear having an impact upon you. And it did. And it did. He pitched his tent towards Sodom. He dwelt at Sodom when the angel said it's time to get out of Sodom. The Bible says, and he yet lingered. The angels pulled him out of Sodom himself. Then he asked for God to don't destroy Zoar so I can go to it. Then he finally gets to the mountain, and through it all, he's lost his wife. He's had an incestuous relationship with both of his daughters. What was that? All of that was the spirit of Sodom that had gotten in what was at one time a righteous man but because of the company that he constantly kept. Oh God. Day by day, it vexed his soul. It vexed a righteous man's soul? Yeah, it vexed his soul. What are you saying to me? I'm saying there's, there must be a buffer. There must be a separation without isolation. There must be a buffer. And then he goes on. Notice when he says about the wicked and all of these, he says, I will not sit with them. I have not sat with them. I will not sit with them. As opposed to saying I will not walk with them or I will not stand with them. He says I will not sit with them because why? Think with it for a moment. Whenever a person sits, there is a certain level of comfort. If you've ever been in a place you've never been before, and this might be more so for the introverted type people, people say to me, I walk in a room, you know, somewhere never been, people I don't know, nothing. They say, sit down, have a seat. I'm not sitting. I'm standing. Why? I am not comfortable to sit with them. in that. I don't know them from Adam's house cat. I'm not comfortable. I'm not sitting. If I eventually sit, I have reached a certain level of comfortableness. Psalmist says, he doesn't use the word stand. He doesn't use the word uh, uh, walk. He says, I do not sit with the wicked. What's he conveying in the moment? He says, I'm not getting comfortable there. I'm not getting comfortable in that context. There's a certain level of comfort not found there. Amen. Everybody doing right? I know teaching on Sunday morning. So not only does David tell us the things that he abstains from, but he also tells us the things that he's going to give his attention to. He tells us the things that he's going to do. Because as I've all time said, equally as important uh, concerning the things that we abstain from is the things that we do pay attention to, right? That's not just to separate from, it's to separate unto type of thing. And so David says, he gives us a few lists here of as a man trying to walk in his integrity, some of the things he's going to give his attention to. These are good things. These are things I think as Christians we need to do. David tells the Lord that he's going to give attention to the house of God. That he's going to give attention to the laver where he can wash himself. He's going to give attention to the altar. He's going to give attention to where the honor or the glory of the Lord dwells. The holies of holies where the presence of God is. So I'm going to, and, and that that just overwhelms me. Because David's like, it's just not good enough for me to give attention to your habitation. To the house of God. But I want to give attention to the presence What are you saying? I'm saying you can come to the house without ever giving attention to the presence of the house. You you can show up and be faithful to the place and not faithful to the presence. But David says, I've learned that in order to walk in mine integrity and sincerity for the Lord, it's more than just showing up where he habitates. It's showing up and trying to get in touch with the presence, with the spirit, with Amen. Amen. So I'm I'm going to give my attention to all of these things. I mean, I I believe I'm walking there, Lord. This is what I'm endeavoring to do. I'm going to try to continue to walk in this integrity, but I need you to judge me. He washes his hands, the Bible says. He says there in in verse number six, he says, I will wash my hands in, in innocency there I almost did it again so will I confess thine altar O Lord I will wash my hands that washing of the hands was just even for the Old Testament priests it was a cleansing amen from the outside interactions that they had had prior coming to the tabernacle and that washing of hands amen allowed them that entrance and that interaction with a holy God and so David says I'm going to do these things and as he's saying these things we even see in verse number uh, uh, seven that he's doing all these things of washing his hands and 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 compassion the altar with this purpose he's doing these things because he wants to praise the lord he wants to praise the lord for his wondrous works he wants to lift his voice with a voice of thanksgiving unto god he's saying god i'm going through all this and i'm trying to walk in my integrity because i want to praise you i would just great for an apostolic church people designed to walk integrity say you know what I'm going to get to the house of God when I get there I'm going to wash myself of everything that week that I've been around I'm going to wrap my arms around an altar and I'm going to find his presence and I'm going to praise him for his wondrous works and my voice of supplication and thanksgiving is going to be lifted high unto God judge me in those matters God judge me in those matters I'm gonna look, look. He says, I'm gonna wash, and then the altar is mentioned. But in the tabernacle, in the temple, that whole procession is flip flop. David says, I'm gonna wash, and then he mentions the altar. But in the tabernacle, you come to the altar first, and then you wash. David is letting us, and I like how he says, So I will come past the altar. He says, I will wash, so I will. You know what he's saying? If I'm talking about washing, then I'm going to have to be at the altar because I'm going to hit it before I ever hit a spot of washing. Because I need to go to that altar where that sacrifice is pulled on and blood is shed. Which was typical of repentance. Oh God. It's for the same reason why we speak. And I don't, you know, we don't baptize anybody that hasn't repented. Because if you want the washing away in the water, you got to unlock the lock at repentance. If you want the chain removed in the water, then you got to unlock the chain at repentance. David, if you're going to wash, you're going to have to spend time at the altar and unlock some things from you. You're going to have to allow God to come, oh yeah, and bring judgment. Oh yes, allow God to come down and bring some judgment on things so that when you get to the water, they will fall off more easily and wash more. You got to get the blood from the altar to be able to take that to the water for, oh yes. he says so I'm going to wash and so I will compass I love it whenever you read the word compass here in the Psalms it isn't even so much I love the the pictorial of this in my mind it isn't so much that David is walking around the altar but it's the actual image of him wrapping his arms about the altar man that just does something to my spirit David says so I will compass the altar it would do good from now until Jesus comes that people desiring to walk integrity would learn all over again how to wrap their their arms around an altar. whoa wrap their arms around the altar when they come to church at the end of a preaching where they go home in their home every day of the week prior 30 minutes before church it'd be good to find people trying to walk integrity and just wrap their arms about an altar but you judge me in that matter God judge me judge me in that in that matter. So, lies of integrity, according to David, the man after God's own heart, to his own perception. Lives of integrity contis- consisted of all these things. It consisted of loving the house of God. Uh-huh. Loving the house of God. He loved the habitation of thy house. But as I've already mentioned, even more importantly, loving the presence of God, the place where his honor dwells. The sons of Korah in Psalms 84 had a similar sentiment of loving God's house and loving his presence. They said how amiable are thy tabernacles O Lord of hosts that's just the house that's the building. They say my soul longeth yea even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. But watch this. My heart they say and my flesh crieth out for the living God. We had a switch there. It went beyond building to person. It went, it went on place to presence. He says, My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. If you can stand with me this morning, I'll hasten to a close. Verse 11 of Psalms 26, I want to share with you. David says, Bad is, But as for me, he makes a contrast here. He's, he's in his uh, talk. In the scripture, it also talked about sinners in whose hands was mischief and full of bribes and all that. So he's talking about them, but he says, but as for me, he says, This is the way that, that they carry on their lives and that they conduct their lives, but in contrast to that, as for me, look what he says. This is different than what he started out with. He says, I will walk in mine integrity. He talked out in the beginning as I have walked in my integrity. So verse 1, he's past tense. I have walked in my integrity. At the end of this, this discussion with the Lord of judging him, he's saying, I will walk in my integrity. And he basically conveys in his own mind how he believes that this will be accomplished. I will walk in my integrity. Verse number 11. Look what he says to the Lord. Redeem me and be merciful unto me. How are you going to walk in your integrity? You have. How are you going to continue? He says, I believe it's going to because I need you to redeem me. And I need, I need to walk. I need to lean on your mercy. Redeem? Yeah. Listen, redemption is not a one and done thing. I talked to you. It's one of the most elastic words in Scripture. It's not a one and done thing. There are aspects of my life today that need redeemed today. Each day there are certain aspects and areas and facets of my life that need redemption. Mm -hmm. My walk, my human walk tends to failure and mistake and blunder and all those good things. (laughs) And in those moments, I lean on his mercy. Albert Barnes said this. This penetrated my spirit whenever I, I read across this. He said, the prayer for mercy is always an acknowledgment of guilt that was good because mercy is whenever you get what you don't deserve and if you thought you were should have deserved something else if you're crying for mercy then you must feel as though you have been guilty to receive something else how's this all play out plays out a little bit like this and I'm coming to a close back to this I've been in Genesis 19 with lot here this morning as well before Genesis 19 Genesis 18 so whenever God visited Abraham and said, should I tell my friend Abraham everything that I plan on doing to Sodom and Gomorrah? Because I know he'll raise up his children right and all these things. And whenever Abraham spoke to God and he did the bargaining chip, if you found 50 righteous, would you spare? Blah, 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 back and forth. The question or the statement, it's posed as a question in Scripture, but it's really a statement. Abraham said this. He said, Will not, shall not the judge shall not the judge of all the earth do right? I use that scripture a lot in funeral services will not the judge of all the earth do right all right especially because i'm not a preacher that preaches somebody into heaven or anything like that i i leave them with this concept will not the judge of all the earth do right and so abraham was pleading then for justice and it was found lot and his family was taken from the land, and the the fire came down upon Sodom and Gomorrah. But notice, after Lot has come out of Sodom because the angels were pulling on him, this is Lot's statement unto them. He's wanting to go to Zoar rather than the mountains. He's wanting to stay in the plain rather than to do what God told him to do. And this is what Lot says. Lot says, Thou hast magnified your mercy. What what was Lot recognizing? Lord, you've magnified your mercy. Lot, if you recognize that God's magnified his mercy towards you, then you must be admitting that there is some guilt that you have. So what's David doing? I've walked in my integrity. I've done good to this person. I've done that one. I've abstained from this. I've abstained from that. But when it's all said and done, he says, I will walk in my integrity because I need you to redeem me. And I'm calling out to your mercy. What's David admitting in that moment? I got some guilt. I got, I'm, not, I'm not as integral as I perceive myself to be. I got some guilt. I need his redemption every day, and I need his mercy. And if I need his mercy, I'm as guilty as anybody. I'm in need of the Lord. And the only way that we can successfully from day to day walk in integrity if we'll allow God to judge us and cry out for his mercy and admit, No matter how good we think we've done and admit, you know what? I'm still guilty. I still live in flesh that is riddled with sin, that has the Adamic nature. I'm going to be guilty until He comes. Thank God for His mercy. But I'm going to try to walk. I'm going to love His habitation. I'm going to wrap my arms around His altar. I'm going to wash my hands. I'm going to try to seek His presence when I'm in that place. I'm going to try to stay away from from environments and things that would compromise the rightness that I'm trying to live in my life because I need the Lord. Can we bow our heads all across this place? There may be somebody here today that says, Brother McGee, I feel like I've walked in my integrity and I want to continue to walk in integrity. I feel like I've done some things and I want to continue to, but I need the judgment of God in my life and i know this goes against the dynamic of our flesh with all the phraseology don't judge me but there's somebody here today and i wish that it would be each and every one of us that we need to find a place at the altar this morning in in our own way speaking to heaven and say god judge me god weigh in on my life weigh in on my activity Weigh in on what I'm giving my eyes attention to and where my feet, Lord, are following. Weigh in on my life. Somebody today needs to do that. Somebody needs to... ask. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.